Well, as I get older, I have to tell you, I'm getting increasingly, um, I'm finding it increasingly difficult to keep up with the number of special days that we're asked to observe. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Diversity Council of Australia. As taxpayers, you're funding it, so here's some free advertising, or not so free. The Diversity Council promotes no less than 81 special days every year. For the mathematicians amongst us, that's one special day every five days. In fact, it's a little bit more than that. There are some worthy causes among some less so. World AIDS Day, Are You OK Day, International Women's Day and more. It's a different agency, but I'm presuming April 17 is marked in your calendars. That's International Bat Appreciation Day. It's big, I'm told, in the Chinese city of Wuhan. There's Melbourne Cup Day, International Secretaries Day, Clean Up Australia Day, Take Your Dog to Work Day, Talk Like a Pirate Day, and today, October 1st, International Coffee Day. Finally, a cause I can get behind. Now, what's all this got to do with the book of Exodus? That would be a fair question. Uh, Well, we've arrived, as Dave said in opening our service, we have arrived at the pivotal moment. You could say, actually, I think without exaggerating, this is one of those pivotal moments in human history, actually. Certainly it's a big moment in our series from the book of Exodus because from the beginning we've been waiting. The Lord has said, I'll rescue my people. But so far we've seen precious little evidence of that, at least to the casual observer. And just last week we saw time and again nine different opportunities given to Pharaoh. But God's people are still Pharaoh's slaves. So what gives? Well, they won't be slaves for long. For the Israelites, Passover is the day of days. It ends some 400 years of life in Egypt, most of those brutal. Through sacrificial blood, a nation, Israel, is brought to life and set free. It's an important event, so important in fact. Did you notice that it rewrites the calendar? Passover is now the beginning of your year. It's impossible to exaggerate the significance of Passover. It's a combination of justice and mercy. A combination of justice and mercy that's going to ripple throughout history from this point, gaining momentum all the time until... On what we call the Last Supper, Jesus will change Passover forever. He won't get rid of it. He will fulfil it. As Jesus reveals himself to be the Passover lamb who frees people not from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to sin and death. But I'm getting ahead of myself. In the context of the exodus, literally the exit from Egypt, Passover reveals the character of our God. On the one hand, he is the faithful judge who will hold evil to account. And on the other, he is the loving saviour who keeps his word. The Lord, Yahweh, who rescues his people through sacrifice and buys them with blood. Passover is a day of mercy. It's also a day of judgment It's a day to remember and it's a day to come. Look closely. It'd be really helpful if you've got your Bible open. There'll be some Bibles in front of you. Exodus, it's the second book in the Bible, easy to find. We're in chapter 12. 
It's on the screen, but it's going to be super helpful if you've got it in front of you as well. Chapter 12, verse 12. On that same night, says the Lord, I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord, Yahweh. Remember? Verse 13, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Notice, I'll pass through Egypt. I'll pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you, Israel, when I strike Egypt. As we've been working through the book of Exodus, from the start, we've witnessed this escalating contest between Pharaoh on the one hand, along with the gods of Egypt, and the Lord on the other, and the prize for which they compete are the Israelite people. The one back in chapter 4, the Israelites, God calls them my firstborn son. So this is personal. In the previous section, we watched as nine times Moses and Aaron take the word of the Lord to Pharaoh, let my people go, it's possessive. Let my people go. And yet, blinded by his hard heart, we watched time after time Pharaoh refuse. And his empire pays the price. Such is the self-destructive power of sin. And it's worth pausing here just for a moment of practical reflection to remind ourselves how damaging sin is. It's totally destructive. Pharaoh's stubborn rebellion has left him humiliated. His nation is in ruins, but still he refuses the word of the Lord. You'd think even for his own self-preservation, he might follow the Lord's word, but he won't. And so the scene is set for the 10th strike. The, The book of Exodus calls the plagues strikes. We call them plagues. It doesn't matter what you call them. But there are several aspects to this 10th strike, this 10th plague that will set it apart from the previous nine. And the big giveaway that something huge is about to happen are the lengthy instructions given to the Israelites before the plague starts. And this raises an important point that we need to have in our minds and set down even before we get to the action of the Exodus. We need to be very clear about this. Every household in Egypt, every household is going to come under God's judgment. Israelite and Egyptian alike, they are all going to come under God's judgment because there is not a single innocent person in Egypt. There's not a single innocent person in this room, actually. Now, it might be unwelcome, it's definitely unfashionable, but if you rewind to term one of this year, you might remember our series in the book of Romans. We looked at chapters 1 through 5 and Paul reaches that horrible conclusion in chapter 3. There's no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. All have become worthless. My point is the firstborn of Israel won't survive the Passover because they are morally or spiritually superior to the Egyptians. They're not. The firstborn of Israel is going to survive because they receive mercy. Mercy at the cost of the lamb. The substitute will bear the judgment. Judgment is coming. That's not the question. The question is upon whom will judgment fall? And so the Israelites are told, verse 5, every house, large or small, 
They need a sacrifice. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Lamb or goat, take your pick. This is one of those situations you want to get right. It's one of those situations where near enough is not good enough. And while I'll admit it's not the point of the passage, by way of practical observation, this made me think about the sacrifices we offer to God, be it our time, our talents, even our treasure. I can remember as a much younger university student, I was asked by somebody, will you offer God your best or will you give him what's left over? I found that a pretty challenging question. I still do. Either way, so far as these animals are concerned, I want you to notice how they're all slaughtered at the same time. Look at verse 6. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Now, you choose the animal on the 10th day, you slaughter it on the 14th. I think the delay is to make sure you get this right. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Now, just imagine the scene. We didn't read it, but at the end of chapter 12, we're told some 600,000 Israelite men are going to leave Egypt. Now, let's add women and children to that. You've got to have 2 million people plus. Now, to put that into perspective, we're talking about a population of half of Sydney. So think of that, every second household slaughtering a lamb all at the same time. This is big. But then the critical instruction, verse 7. Then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Now I'm one of those people who when I've locked the car, I'll often walk away, turn around and come back just to check. That I've I'm not saying it's normal, but that's the kind of person I am. There you go. If I was an Israelite, at the risk of going beyond the instruction, yes, I would paint the door frames, but I would be spilling blood everywhere. This is the kind of person I am. But why the blood, verse 13? Well, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Consider this for a second. We've seen in the previous nine plagues, I think it's from the fourth plague onwards, the Lord is perfectly capable of distinguishing between Israelites and Egyptians. So, for example, in the plague of hail, it only falls on Egyptian territory. Israelites are fine. And so whose benefit are we having this sign? Why is the blood there? It's not for the Lord's benefit. Look at verse look at the verse 13 closely. The blood will be a sign for you. Which means painting the blood on the door frames was an act of obedience in response to God's word. Painting the blood was an act of faith that the blood is going to shield me from the judgment to come. So, if I was to rephrase a famous verse from Romans chapter 5, See if you can pick it. You see, at just the right time, when Pharaoh's slaves were still powerless, the lamb died for the Israelites. This is the prototype of salvation. The lamb is the substitute, or in biblical words, if you prefer, the lamb was a sacrifice of atonement. 
A sacrifice of atonement, what does that mean? It means the blood turns away God's anger. And we get a vivid description of this. Glance down to verse 23. We didn't read it. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, notice it's when, not if, when the Lord does this, he'll see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. The destroyer must be held back. He knows who's inside the house and he knows they're guilty but the Lord holds him back, which means the Israelites who have painted the blood on the door frames, they are not treated as their sins deserve. This is mercy. Passover for the Israelites, it's a day of mercy. On the other hand, and you'll be relieved to know this won't take long, having not learned from the previous nine opportunities for the Egyptians, Passover is a day of judgment. And this won't take long because we've already established that there's not a single innocent person in Egypt. Everyone's under judgment. So, verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. This is comprehensive judgment. Not total, but comprehensive. Verse 30, Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house with someone dead. It's a pretty heavy breeding, isn't it? It struck me, there's a line in Hebrews chapter 10. Someone can tell me the verse later. Hebrews chapter 10. Pharaoh and all his people, all the Egyptian gods and his nation, they have just fallen into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing, Hebrews 10, to fall into the hands of the living God and that's just what happened. Pharaoh is defeated, he is humiliated and now... The exodus can begin, verse 31, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord just as you have requested. Poor old Moses. This is the fifth time in the book of Exodus he's been told where to go. For the first four times, it's the Lord, go to, go to Pharaoh. Now even Pharaoh's telling you where to go. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Passover, a day of mercy, a day of judgment, and a day to remember. I wonder, presuming Jesus hasn't returned, I wonder, do you think we'll be celebrating Australia Day in 1,500 years? I think International Coffee Day has probably got more of a chance. How about the King's birthday? We'll be celebrating that in 1,500 years? Will there be a monarchy? Mother's Day? Valentine's Day, do you know, every year, at the beginning of every year, for 1,500 years, the Jews commemorated, recreated and celebrated the Passover. Orthodox Jews still do. But something changed. On the eve of his death, a death he predicted and always framed as a sacrifice, calling it, a ransom for many, 
A renegade Jew from Nazareth would change the Passover forever, claiming that his blood would do what endless lamb's blood could never do. And further, that his once-for-all sacrifice would free not one nation, but all people from slavery to sin. In his own words, at what we now call the Last Supper, Jesus offered the cup to his disciples. We'll say these words a little later. Take and drink, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, the new agreement, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he adds, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The Passover is not obsolete. It's fulfilled. It's reached its high point. And just as the Israelites remember the lamb, Jesus commands his disciples, remember the blood until he returns. Which, see, I think this raises an urgent practical challenge for us. Because when Jesus first appears, he appears as the Passover lamb who will give his life as a ransom for many. But here's the urgent thing. When the risen Passover lamb returns, he'll return as judge. That being so, if those who survived the original Passover are going to be any guide to us, then we need to ask the question, what do our friends need to hear? Those who don't submit to Jesus yet, what do they need to hear in order to prepare for the coming judgment? We know it's coming. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you ready? And so what do people need to hear in our community? Do they need to hear, God loves you? Do they need to hear, you have a Father in heaven who cares for you? Is that our message? I'd say yes, definitely, absolutely. But if that's all we say, we haven't learned the lesson of Passover and we do our friends a disservice because we will leave them exposed. And I make this practical observation by way of comparison. In the gospel accounts, and this is true across the board, Matthew, Mark, Luke, take your pick, doesn't matter. When Jesus starts preaching about what he calls good news, where does he begin? Does he begin with God loves you? He'll get to that. But to the watching crowds, the most urgent issue, at least so far as Jesus is concerned, well, his words give it away. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Or to put that another way, unless and until you turn to me for the forgiveness of sins, you will remain under the coming judgment of God. That's where Jesus begins. Repent, turn back for the forgiveness of sins. And it's not just Jesus. His disciples teach the same thing. Here's one example. Here's the Apostle John. This is love. Not that we loved God, which we didn't, but that he loved us. Okay, if you want to start with God loves you, fair enough. But how? Here's the urgent priority. God loved us and what did he do? Sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atonement, substitute, sacrificial blood. These are the gritty realities of Passover. 
that are ultimately fulfilled in the cross of Christ. Which means if we're going to talk about God's love to the world around us, let's make sure we include the blood-stained, sacrificial, cross-shaped love that shields sinners from the coming judgment because that's the urgent reality. And for the Israelites, that's the point of Exodus 12. It's one long, loving instruction to a nation, make sure you're ready. It's a loving instruction from a loving God who delights to show mercy. So where does that leave us? I've made a few practical observations along the way. But how does Passover impact us Christians here in Dural 21st century? I've got one suggestion for you. Passover was a change in ownership. No longer Pharaoh's slaves, the Israelites were bought. The biblical word is redeemed. They were bought out of slavery by the Lord at the cost of the lamb, which means the Israelites are people who now belong to the Lord. They are his. He purchased them. Now, some of us will hear that and we'll think, well, hang on a minute. That's a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? Nobody owns me. I do what I want. Gosh, I'm my own person. I make the rules. That's the creed of our culture, isn't it? You do you. The more authentic, the better, whatever that means. But I simply point out that biblical wisdom offers a different perspective. A perspective where you are either ruled by sin and therefore a slave to death, or you're ruled by love under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Either way, you have a master. You are ruled by another. You belong to another. The context is very different. But when he was writing to Christians in the city of Galatia, the Apostle Paul draws on these same themes, these same ideas, and he writes to them to encourage them by his own example. He says this in Galatians 2, I, Paul, have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That is, I don't live for myself anymore. I died. But Christ lives in me. So his resurrection is my resurrection. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, and look at this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's the motivation for lifelong, joyful obedience to the Lord Jesus, free from slavery to sin, raised to new life. And so in humility and confidence, let's head into this week as those who have been purchased, those who have been bought. In our different circumstances, let's be eager to serve the one whose body was given and whose blood was shed that we might be the children of God. Passover, it's a a day of mercy, paid for in blood, that a nation might be set free, which points to the ultimate freedom found in the cross of Christ, bloodshed, that we would be forgiven sinners, free from slavery to death, welcome in God's kingdom. So let's go into this week. Dave read before from Revelation 5, worthy is the lamb, 
And to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power now and forever. Amen.